Hello, and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Em Clark. I am in London, again. I'm in the Cartoon Museum this time, and I'm here with Sheridan Kelly back on the book club. Welcome back, Sheridan. Hello. And uh, thank you to Emma, the curator at the museum, for letting us use her office today. We are here partly for the Luther Arkwright exhibition that Brian Tolbert's got on in the Cartoon Museum, but also because after this we're walking down the road to Gosh Comics for the Brian Tolbert sign-in. Um, very exciting times. And before we start, um, have you been keeping up with uh, 2000 AD and everything recently? Yep. Yeah. I've got a little bit behind because I used to go to a comic shop every week on the way home from work, but a combination of things means it's not so practical. Yeah. So I'm always about one month behind now. And if I don't get time to read up, I sometimes get two months behind. Right. But yeah, I'm still getting all of the progs and megs. So I've sort of teased it away. We interrupt our Nemesis coverage that you and I have been doing over the past few years to talk about something different. What are we talking about today, Sheridan? The Adventures of Luther Arkwright. Fantastic. So I'm going to call it a nine-issue miniseries from Valkyrie Press uh, that ran from 1987 to 1989, although there are a couple of other sort of bonus issues that we might mention. It was all by Brian Tolbert. Uh, it's been collected... Uh, at least a couple of ways, isn't it? It's in. Yeah. It's collected with the sequel, Heart of Empire, in um, Dark Horse Comics, and I noticed they've got the paperback out here in the shop. I've got it digitally on the iPad. You've got what else have we got? Just the floppies in front of you at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So technically, the first few of the original run I had are actually reprint because they published in all sorts of different places beforehand. Right, and you're showing me two versions of uh, the yep. first page there. What's that? That's One is the Valkyrie. Yep, so Valkyrie is very much uh, like Victorian printing, yep. both in a style but also in the word balloons, which right. aren't how modern comic readers, and by modern I mean any time in the last hundred years, would recognise a word balloon. Right. Okay, so on the first page there, we'll, just, we'll get into it for a moment. They don't have, like, word balloons. They just have the no. text floating in the air with lines attaching it to the, to the speaker. Yeah, so if there is a lot of detail in the background, they might have word balloons. Yep. But if there is no detail, like skies, there's just a line connecting a word to the person, but no balloon around it. And what's the other one that you've got there? So the other one I have is the... Uh, about a year later... Ah, it's Dark Horse. So when it was very recent, Dark Horse did a copy, and they thought that because the subject matter was so challenging already, especially yep. some of the storytelling techniques in the early issues, uh, they thought that having those word balloons was a step too far, so they actually word ballooned it up. Right, OK. And I wonder who did the ed- uh, the lettering, but we might come to that later on. OK, so it's got... It's got a complicated publication history. Yes. Because before Valkyrie in the 80s, it had started sort of in the 70s, hadn't it? Yep, 1978, I think. Right, in a... In a... Oh, actually, no, there's something else before that. I think I know what you're talking about. Well, there was a small press comic called Brainstorm Comics, which is sometime in the mid-70s. Then uh, I think that's the character first appears. This is Luther Arkwright. But after that, we get... Um, the Adventures of Luther Arkwright, the first appeared in something called Near Myths in 1978, I think. But then they reprint, obviously, the first adventures when they start doing the Valkyrie Press uh, edition. 
So you've already teased it, Sheridan. Luther Arkwright, the story and the concept is somewhat complicated. Yes. Um, give us the bare bones of who he is and what the setting is for this story. So it's a multiverse, which we're now, I think most people are very familiar with these days due to various cinematic universes where they travel between dimensions. Very fashionable at the moment. At the time, it wasn't quite so common, but obviously it did exist in science fiction. Uh, Luther Arkwright is special in that he can travel at will between the different parallel dimensions. And one of his main supporting characters is also unique in that she's aware of her other parallel selves and can contact them. Right. And then almost everyone else just is not aware that there's multiverses and doesn't know that there's other versions of them in other dimensions. And as you say, Luther Arkwright can travel between the different dimensions. He's got some sort of psychic powers as well. Yeah. Um, there's bad guys, aren't there? Disruptors. The disruptors. What are the disruptors up to, exactly? Or... Well, we don't really find out until, I think it's actually the last issue in this nine-issue series, that they're, they're basically like stormtroopers from Star Wars, but for an ancient, um, godlike figure. Right. Okay. Um, so, it is very complicated. We'll perhaps also just quickly mention, you've mentioned supporting cast she's rose wild who's yes. aware of her other sort yeah. of versions there's a character from sort of i'm going to say modern russian folklore or comic book folklore called octobriana yeah who's appeared in other comics as well she's um, also got a complicated she's got a complicated and, back and history. largely fictional yes back history harry fairfax who's a sort of guy fawkes like freedom fighter and then there's a version, or there's a descendant of Cromwell, who's yeah. important, because in one of the versions of Britain, the sort of Cromwellian uh, rule has continued, hasn't it? Yeah. Right. Very complicated. We decided not to worry too much about the story for this podcast, because yeah. we'd be here all day, wouldn't we? Yeah. Okay. Let's just talk about the artwork, because it's black and white, artwork from Brian Tolbert starting in the 70s continuing in the 1980s what do you make of the artwork throughout these nine issues so I was familiar with his artwork from the Gothic Empire Nemesis Warlock right uh, which was unlike what I'd seen before and we did talk about this in one of our Nemesis yes. coverages uh, in there, I was expecting Kevin O'Neill, and instead I got Brian Talbot, and I was not very pleased with that initially. Right. But then I quickly got into it, and now I, um, I really do like Brian Talbot's work. I've got quite a bit of what he's produced across different countries and publishers, including self-publishing, I think. Actually, I don't know if he has self-published. I get the feeling he's self-published, but maybe right. it's always going through other people. And... Did you have to hunt down the adventures of Luther Arkwright in floppies then? No. So, I think sometime around 1987, there was an advert in 2000 AD for oh. the Brian Talbot Luther Arkwright signing tour. Right. And one of those was to my local comic shop, Fantasy World, in Hanley, um, which doesn't exist anymore. I think it got bought out by Forbidden Planet. There is right. a Forbidden Planet quite close to where it was. Um, yeah, but that's where I got the majority of my backfrogs of 2000 AD. 
and up till the age of about 12 or 13, almost all of my comics came from there. Right. Apart from the ones I got from news agents before that. And if we say that this is, obviously this is black and white art. Yeah. For the first volume of Luther Arkwright, The Adventures of Luther Arkwright. Yeah. Um, if people are familiar with what, say, Phil Winslade is doing at the moment on Lawless, incredibly detailed black and white pen strokes and about looks like a thousand of them on each page or yep. more. That's what it sort of made me think of when I went back and looked at yeah. it this time. That level of detail, yeah. It's incredible level of detail, isn't it? Yeah. And actually here in the Cartoon Museum in London, you can see some of this artwork on display. Yeah. Well, when I first read this... I was 13 years old, I think. Right. And my eyes were a lot better then than they are now. And rereading this edition, you know, it's good and everything, but I think I could really do a bigger edition now. It's, it, it's interesting, actually, because I, one of the things I noticed going back to my own floppies, which I haven't brought with me today, but going back to the floppies was there is so much text on some pages and also that let's say, small press publishing back in the 80s, seem to use a very small font anyway, um, it can be quite difficult to read the text in places, can't it? Yeah. Yes. And it's interesting that you pointed out the lettering, or rather the speech bubble problem, how uh, when Dark Horse took it, they decided to make the speech bubbles um, a bit more traditional comic book style. They've also, I think they've blown up some of the captions and enlarged them. Um, which I noticed when you showed me that first page. Um, yeah, I think it has actually been re-lettered. It's right. not just the, the put the letters in balloons. Because this was Brian Talbot doing it all himself to begin with, wasn't yeah. it? This was entirely, you know... Getting, um, getting all of the paychecks. For yes. Writing, <laughs> drawing, lettering. Puts, Did- puts Dave Gibbons to shame. <laughs> Did you notice that when the Valkyrie Press version got going... And presumably they redid what had appeared in Near Myths, but then it carried on. Did you notice that the artwork gets even more detailed and intense as Talbot progresses? I am wondering... See, I always remembered that the early artwork was a lot rougher than the later artwork, and there is that to an extent, but it wasn't as markedly different as I thought. And looking into publishing history for this podcast... Uh, I, I got a bit more confused than I already was about publishing history. Yeah. Because it sounded like the only two new... Uh, sorry, the only new parts were the last two issues, and I'd always thought it was about half of it had been published... had not been published. Right. Uh, but it sounds like there was some graphic novel collection already, but maybe a timing is just confusing. Okay. Now, he also... He did cover artwork and he also did back cover artwork for the um the valkyrie comics uh, version which is very beautiful sort of colored artwork isn't it yeah uh, there's some wonderful images in there in fact I, you know we have to say the artwork the covers the internal artwork throughout is stunning by brian talbot at this stage of his career isn't it yeah um, and I, this was actually, the, uh, I'm saying this, I'm showing Eamon the cover to Dark Horse issue seven, which is Luther Arkwright wrapped in a Union flag with one of the land ironclads in the background. But that was a big poster that 
well, I assume it was normally being sold, but Brian Talbot actually gave a copy of it to me. Right. When I was 13 years old and getting things signed. There is, if you Google Luther Arkwright, one of the first images you're going to see is Luther Arkwright draped in the Union flag, standing in front of a huge tank. And in fact, that poster you've mentioned, they have a copy of it here in the museum on display uh, in all its full-size glory. Um, It is one of the sort of like singular images of Luther Arkwright. That and perhaps a couple of the cover images, including the first issue, is wonderful. I mean, I'll perhaps jump around a little bit. I'll mention that Luther Arkwright has this multi... It's only fair to jump around because the narrative does. Yes. Um, As this sort of multiverse hopping character... It's now, as you say, it's become commonplace in comics and films and books. But at the time, it wasn't that common. I remember this Michael Moorcock character called Jerry Cornelius, who sometimes gets mentioned in the same breath. He's a sort of, um, I don't know what you'd call him, fantasy adventurer uh, character, you know, that's uh, earlier. And interestingly, Michael Moorcock writes an introduction or an afterword for one of the collections of Luther Arkwright. In fact, the people who've written forwards and afterwards for some of the comics and collections are quite impressive themselves. Alan Moore, Warren Ellis, uh, Michael Moorcock, the latest collection has got an Adrian Tchaikovsky introduction because this comic book's had a huge legacy, hasn't it? Yeah. Considering it's so complicated and that we can't really get into the story, it's amazing the impact that this comic has had since it was published, isn't it? Yeah. And it's it's not really spoken about as much as a lot of other comics are. Yes. Like, I always think of it in the same terms as Dark Knight uh, Returns, yeah. Watchmen, V for Vendetta, all that kind of thing. But in preparation for this, I was just seeing if anyone else had any interesting takes on it, and I could only find two podcasts and not a whole lot of web pages. I mean, if we think about those great comics from the 1980s, you've mentioned them, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, Mouse... Killing Joke. Killing Joke, V for Vendetta. Luther Arkwright, depends who you talk to, doesn't seem to get mentioned in the same context. Um, When I did... Alice in Sunderland, which of course is the other great, or another great Brian Talbot book on the podcast, we said, again, why doesn't it get mentioned more often Mm. as one of the sort of great works in comic books? If we talk about the legacy of Luther Arkwright for a moment, because there's been lots of sequels uh, and spin-offs, some of which you've got with you today... Even the first nine issues of Luther Arkwright from Valkyrie Press had a couple of sort of subsequent extras, didn't it? Yeah, well, Valkyrie, I think it was a month or two later, produced Archaeology. Um, If memory serves, the early issues of the actual monthly had a letters page. Yeah. Had a letters page called Archaeology. Um, They didn't actually keep that up for long, and they just ditched the idea of a letters page. And they saved them all up for this sequel issue where they just put lots of random uh, articles, potted history of Octobriana, a bit of fan art. And when I say fan art, I'm talking about people like Dave McKean, Dave Gibbons, Grant Morrison, quite luminary uh, fan arts. A little bit by Brian Talbot about Nemesis of Warlock. So, yeah, all sorts of 
lots of back matter. There was yeah. lots of back matter appeared in the issues. Lots of back matter was collected in archaeology as a floppy issue. I think it would be fair to say that the great and the good of British comic books love Brian yeah. Talbot and they love Luther Arkwright, yeah. don't they? Yeah. The um, thing, uh, Brian Talbot was a bit of a teacher as well. Right. Possibly from the 70s, but through the 80s. So a lot of people we now know as uh, great comic writers and artists, they might have actually been to lectures or talks given by Brian Talbot, and that might have actually inspired them to write comics. So even if Luther Arkwright wasn't what inspired them, it could be Brian Talbot. And he's still doing that. He's still a great sort of representative of British comics. He's still a great sort of speaker. He's a sponsor of the Lakes Comic Festival. He's often da- he's often down here doing workshops or signings. He does graphic novels with his wife, Mary Tolbert, who um, did the Daughter of His Father's Eyes book and a book about the suffragettes, I think. And, of course, he's got a new collection out. We, we'll mention there was a sequel series called Heart of Empire, which was in colour, coloured by Angus McKeevey, I think. Is that right? And then we are both here today because there's a brand new and quite large hardback of The Legend of Luther Arkwright, the third volume, which I'm guessing... uh, I haven't read it yet because it only arrived a couple of days ago, but I'm guessing this must wrap up the the saga of Luther Arkwright. It's a big, hefty beast, isn't it? Yep. Uh, have you got yours yet, or are you picking I one up today? Yet. I would be really upset if I can't actually get a copy today. So right. Brian Talbot will be around. And sign in, yeah. yes. But this is a lot more like the Granville, or Granville, however you pronounce it, editions. Yes, Granville Integrale, the sort of collection of Granville. Which I'm hoping to get signed as well. And, of course, Brian Talbot, we've discussed him on the podcast a few times. You and I have talked about Nemesis, particularly his Gothic Empire version. We've talked about Alison Sunderland with Luke Williams. We've done The Tale of One Bad Rat. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be his most famous work. Right. Because it does get used in schools and other places. I think it's been translated into 20 or 30 languages, hasn't it? Yes, it has, yes. And it's a, you know it's an astonishing piece of literature. Yeah. But I was thinking maybe everything else that Brian's done in a public consciousness has just sort of been shoved aside by the tale of one bad rat, which right. isn't necessarily a bad thing, because no. it is a useful work. For yeah, them. I mean, the important messages about. in that book, the stuff about, um, you know, surviving and recovering from abuse and so on, is, is very powerful. A couple of other spin-offs from Luther Arkwright. We mentioned a sequel, we mentioned there's a third volume out now. You've got another book with you today in London, which is... Luther Arkwright, role-playing across the parallels. So it's one of those comic books that's, not, that's actually spun off a game as well, a role-playing game. I'm not sure. I don't think that's even the first one. Right. There was uh, something which I have got a copy of but couldn't find it, um, which was just a scenario for, I think it was Dungeons & Dragons. But, yeah. You know, it's just one adventure to be used by a different role-playing game. I've got a feeling there was a different Luther Arkwright role-playing game, just Luther Arkwright, but one I've got is from 2015. Right. Okay. And uh, have you played it? No. Okay. (laughs) Um, But there it is. It's got another Brian Tolbert cover. I think I actually bought that in lockdown, so I even had a chance to play it. Okay. So there was a role-playing game of Luther Arkwright, developed and written by Chad Bowser, Pete Nash... 
Brian Steele and Lawrence Whitaker. Um, there's also, it's one of those comics that there's been a big Finnish audio adaptation of. Back in, I think, 2005, they did The Adventures of Luther Arkwright with a quite impressive cast. Before he was famous, or before I'd heard of him anyway. David Tennant. Yeah, I've not heard this. I really do want to have heard it. But I've been listening to it this week. David Tennant plays Luther Arkwright just before, I think, he was announced as the uh, the Tenth Doctor. The late Paul Darrow from Blake 7 plays now, Cromwell. I do remember seeing this when it was released. I think I saw it in Travelling Man in York. And Paul Darrow was the name that jumped out. Right. As opposed to David Tennant. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's available as well from Big Finish, and I've been listening to it this week as well. So we approach the big question about Luther Arkwright, which is, um, it's often considered the father of the British, or the godparent of the British graphic novel. And Brian Tolbert has also been like a godparent of the British graphic novel. Why do you think that is, uh, Sheridan? It's a good question. I think part of it might be down to its publishing history. Right. If you were involved in independent British comics in the 1970s, some of your short-lived anthology comics would have had a few episodes of it at some point or other. Yeah. Yeah, I don't actually know. I mean, I think it's interesting that so many of the British creators cite Brian Talbot's work, and particularly Luther Arkwright, as being one of those early successes mm. for the medium, taking comics away from what was seen as like a childish medium. I think it's actually the first British independent comic, possibly the first independent comic I ever bought. Before that, it would have all have been IPC, DC Thompson, and a few DC comics, and that was about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, because it probably introduced a lot of us mainstream comic readers to what to what we've since come to know as like small press, although I don't think this was particularly small print runs. I think they did quite well with um, Luther Arkwright, particularly if you were a, a like yourself going to a comic shop regularly, you'd have seen it and picked up the floppies, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And Brian Tolbert has always done tours and sign-ins and everything and promoted comics. Uh, I try to remember, I don't, has he been the, the comics laureate? I don't think he has. It was Dave Gibbons. Yes. Uh, I can't remember who it was after that. In about a third or fourth year of Comic Laureates, aren't we? Yeah. And he would make an astonishing Comics Laureate because he is such a great uh, promoter of British comics. Um, I mean, it's interesting because the story which we've sort of danced away from because of its complexities of multiple worlds, multiple realities, who's, who's the bad guys, what they're up to and so on, in a way, it's sort of a slight surprise that this difficult comic from the 80s has, has had such a lasting success, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're going to have a look at some of his artwork in a moment next door, but is it because there's always been Brian Talbot's beautiful uh, penmanship, his beautifully detailed black and white artwork? So part of what, what inspired him when he was creating it uh, it's in one of these comics, I think. It's got him saying what inspired him. Uh, it's a bit of a rejection against the worst traits of mainstream American comics. Right. So trying not to be sort of overblown and um, sort of juvenile. 
So he went back to Victorian illustrators like Dore and I can't think of any others at the moment. But yeah, the ones uh, that you might see in Victorian history books. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, he's he said himself in, in some of the back matter of these comics, it was very much him, as you've said, moving away from American comics, moving away from the sort of, dare we say, the juvenilia of British comics at the time, that, you know, comics were intended or sold to 12-year-olds, basically, and under, and that's where they, where they were pitching stuff. And it it is this big British comic from the 1980s that achieves this lasting legacy and reputation and you know as I say we're going to look at some of his artworks shortly it's great stuff it's just it's just amazing to me that it's become this great thing I suppose V for Vendetta's up there but then again that had to be taken over by DC and then coloured in order to become finished and successful yeah what do you think of Brian Talbot's artwork when it's cut in colour? Um, I don't think I've seen a whole... Well, there's there's two things here. So things like Nemesis and Warlock were in black and white. Yeah. When they got republished by Quality Comics, that was colourised. Not very well, because uh, particularly with someone like Brian Talbot, it's a very illustrative style, and it is designed for black and white. So putting colour on top of that doesn't really work. Yeah. Uh, Heart of Empire, which was from the outset designed to be in colour. Um, there aren't so many solid blacks. It's painted. Well, I'm assuming it's painted. Or did he say it was? It is coloured by, by Angus, Angus McKeever. Yeah. 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 And we're looking at some pages now on my iPad of that. Yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, it does work. I wonder if they had to do it because, again, if you want to sell anything in America, it seems like it has to be yeah. colour, doesn't it? This, yeah. This aphorism that we come back to time and time again, but it does seem like that. Yeah. I personally, I mean, I, you know, as I've said many times in this podcast, I'm sure you're the same. We're big fans of black and white comic book yeah. art, and we're big fans of Brian Talbot's comic book art. And it's interesting that for the third volume, which I've got in my hands here, The Legend of Luther Arkwright, he has gone back to. Black and white inked artwork. I did wonder, in fact, until you actually showed me the copy you've got, I didn't actually know. Yeah. Because I've seen, over the last couple of years, I've seen pencils of it, I've seen inks of it, and then I've sort of not seen anything recently. So I wasn't sure if it would then be put into colour. Right. So here it is. Uh, This is The Legend of Luther Arkwright. I'm going to shout out book clubber Alan Fisher, who helped design the cover for this with Brian Tolbert, and he's been doing some graphic design work with Brian Tolbert, and he's also um, helped design the, up, the cover for the upcoming Brian Tolbert memoir, which is called, appropriate enough, Father of the British Graphic Novel, which is by uh, Brian Tolbert and J.D. Harlock, and will be out, I think it's out later this year, possibly. Um, and I'm quite looking forward to that, actually. I'm quite looking forward to reading... Talbot's memoir. See, I didn't know about this. I rely on you for for research on these podcasts. Well, there's a couple of there's a couple of British comics memoirs due out later this year. There's Dave Gibbons' one. Yeah. Sorry to previous book clubber Giles Richards. It's already been done because he was. Oh no, he's. I think he's wanted to do Brian Bollands, isn't he? I think Brian Bollands working on one as well. And then there's 
there's Brian Talbot's um, is out. So I'm looking forward to both of those later this year. So and we went for decades with only thrill, thrill power overload. Yeah. And now there's loads coming out. Everybody's writing a comic yeah. memoir, which is great stuff. So they, let's just say you can get, here at the Cartoon Museum shop, you can get a £25 uh, trade collection of The Adventures of Luther Arkwright and Heart of Empire. The new book is out in hardback for £20. Uh, you can get the digital collection, which I've got, which is about £18, gives you those first two stories. And as we say, the memoir will be out hopefully later this year with cover graphic design by our friend Alan Fisher. Um, so shout out to him as well. Now, I hope we've not put anyone off by saying how complex it is, because when I read it now, it doesn't seem that complex to me. I do remember it being complex when I first read it. Uh, really, I think it's only first couple of issues where it is complex, where storytelling jumps around and it takes a bit of getting used to. And then when you do get used to it, it kind of goes back to more conventional storytelling where it's all in one parallel, pretty much. It's sort of more straightforward. There's no more flashbacks. It's just this happens, then this happens, and this happens. It's just those first few issues where it's confusing. I was actually reminded when I was reading it now of the first time I saw the film Rogue One. Right. So I like my Star Wars. But Rogue One started off with lots of disconnected scenes in different places we'd never been to before. It's like the first three or four scenes on a different planet with different characters. And that, you know, after about 20 minutes of that, I was thinking, is this going to continue? Because I'm really not following who's who and what's what. But then that story gets a bit more conventional. Settles down, yeah. yeah. And I think, with, as you say, with Luther Arkwright, stick with it. The story settles down. Um, you, you catch up. And I think we're all much more familiar with multiverses and with dimension-hopping characters now, yeah. um, obviously. But, but I do remember as a 13-year-old, I'd read about five pages and then the storyline would totally shift. Different chapter. Yeah. It was originally published yeah. in a different issue of an anthology comic. Yeah. And then about six or seven pages later, it'd shift again. But as I say, when I read it now, I know all of the characters, I know what's happening, and it's not quite so confusing anymore. Good. Obviously, we've had Into the Spider-Verse, we've had Doctor Strange. Last night I saw um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. With Conrad? No, not with Conrad this time. No, no, no. Uh, With my family this time. So, yeah, we're sort of used to the idea now. Should people get Luther Arkwright, the three volumes? Should Yes. 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 And they should still get into it and read it. It's worth it. And they should also come here to the Cartoon Museum in London, where the exhibition is running until October the 2nd, an exhibition of Brian Talbot's artwork. Um, And great fun. And we'll be off shortly to go and hopefully meet the great man himself down at Gosh Comics, which is literally just down the road. Yeah. So we went a fast walk. I think Brian Talbot was the first comic creator I ever met as well. Right. On that comic tour. And... Because it was a tour, it would also have been the first time I saw actual pages of comic artwork. Probably some from Lee Farquhite, but when I saw them, I wouldn't have recognised them because I didn't have my two issues yet. Right. Yeah, so he sort of sold the two issues to me, even though I was 13 and there's quite a lot of sex and violence in those issues. Yeah. But, but I'm not for uh, sort of censorship by age anyway. I think I'm with Alan Moore here, where if you read a book like the Bible or any other book, 
it doesn't have an age rating on it, even if there is lots of sex and violence in it. And I think generally it should be a same with comics. Well, we talked, yeah, we've talked about you know comics and kids and the various difficult difficult problems. Uh, but yeah, you're quite right. Um, let them read the comics and let them figure it out, or help them figure it out. So let's go back to original art because, as you say, you'd saw, seen some original art. Yeah, you got introduced to the concept of the original art. Yeah, I think we probably talked about some of the pages I saw because it was Nemesis pages, which right. I was already familiar with. So I, that fixed in my brain. Oh, it's that one there. Yeah, it's the center spread from that issue. What about the Grail page game? If we stick oh. to the original um, Adventures of Luther Arkwright, and we may even get to see some of these pages next door in a moment, yeah. what, what are you going to pick as your Grail pages? I don't know if you heard that over a microphone, but there's a bit of sigh there because it's so difficult on this it one. It is, yeah. It's normally difficult, but on this one it is just really difficult. Have you picked one? I've got a few that come to my mind... I don't know. It is really tricky, this one. Yeah. Or any of the covers from the nine issues. That might be easier, yeah. Uh, so there is the one which I have as a poster. Uh, I don't know why or how I've got it. Yes. So this is the poster image. It was on the back cover of issue two from the Valkyrie Press. This is the famous image of Arkwright clad in the Union flag in front of the giant green tank, yep? Yep. Uh, so that's going to be one of your grail choices. Yeah. so it's some sort of promo poster, because on the other side of what I have, it's got what I can only imagine is the full range of independent comics that were available at the time and back issues. Right. Just a massive kind of a catalogue, but all on one page. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so for some reason it was given to me for free, and Brian signed it couldn't find it the other day I know I have it somewhere I've seen it since moving house last time so I know it hasn't been lost in the house move I know it is where I live now but obviously I couldn't find it for this right but yeah that was adorned my wall for quite a few years when I was a teenager so we'll give you the original art for that which will be incredibly valuable okay? yes and we're going to go look at the poster in a moment yeah some of the other pictures that came to my mind there are a few of Cleopatra's Needle right I think there's they're in two different issues here but that uh, always stuck in my head and I saw I saw it in this comic before I saw the real one nowadays I go past it twice every day on the way to and from work right but yeah I see Cleopatra's Needle quite a bit I don't think about this comic every time but I do think about it quite a bit whenever I go past it right I'm going to pick a page that we've already looked at, uh, which I've got here on my iPad, which is an image of Luther Arkwright in the sky, sort of suspended or flying over the London landscape. I think that might be, is that Westminster Abbey or something like that? And the perspective, because it's seen from below, is astonishing by Brian Talbot. And it's sort of reminded me of that famous shot of a film we've mentioned briefly, which is... Um, Miles Morales sort of over the city in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's wonderful. So I'm going to pick that and I will post these images when the episode comes out and maybe one or two of your images of the Cleopatra's Needle as well. Yeah, and I think that image was spoofed in one of the comics as well. Right. Uh, in one of the... The archaeology fan, back fan issues. Things that followed after it. Yeah. Right. But can I find it at the moment? That's a question. 
Not quite that image, but from that scene. Yes. Uh, the Adventures of Luther Bath Knight. Luther Bath Knight. Luther spelt like a bath. Luther. <laughs> okay. A huge subject, which we've tried to cover in, in a brief time. We're going to pack up now and go and see some art and then go and see Brian himself. Thank you so much for giving it your time, Sheridan, coming into London early. Anything else you want to mention about Brian Talbot's work in general and Luther Arkwright? Yeah, so there are a lot of good pages. There's lots of illustrative pages. You'd expect to see them on a wall uh, in an art gallery. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean a comic art gallery, but um, I've seen a rake's progress in Tate's Britain, and I think that was one of the influences on Brian's art style. Yes. And I could quite easily see a lot of these pages in there. You know, sort of historic pages of a meeting in St. Petersburg, which, yeah, you can expect to see those in some historical textbook, Mm. apart from the fact that it's not actually historical. Well, we've often said on this podcast that, you know, some of the pages we discuss should be hanging in art galleries, not just the Cartoon Museum art gallery, but generally art galleries. But this one, if you don't have a writing like a word balloon style writing on it, a lot of people probably wouldn't realise it was actually published book. in a comic. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Um, guest projects. Are you still doing the uh, back prog hack at the moment? I am. It's been paused. I think I've published one this year. I've got a few in drafts. They're almost. I think they're pretty much ready to publish. But I wanted to get a bit of a backlog um, built up so that. I wasn't always doing it one at a time, but that didn't really work out, so I might as well just publish them. Right. I'm actually at about the stage in that, 1986, just before this originally Ah, okay, yeah. Um, So I think I'm in the midst of Nemesis of Warlock, the last one that was published before uh, Luther Arkwright. So I will come across that page where it advertised the signing tour that got me into this. When you get to that page, so shout me an out image. when that happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that is at sheridanwild.wordpress.com. And look in the show notes for this episode; it'll be the link will be there. Yep. Anything else you want to mention in guest projects? Nope, that's it. I will be off for a southern contingent meetup in August uh, when this episode comes out for the Bolland and Wagner and McMahon signing. And uh, that's it, really. Thank you to Sheridan for your time. Thank you to everybody here at the Cartoon Museum for letting us use your office this morning, particularly to curator Emma and to Steve, who's around as well. And that's it. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening to Megacity Book Club. Find all the details at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the 2080 forums. And email me, mcbcpodcast at gmail.com, if you want to get in touch and come on the show and discuss any of the great British comics or 2000 AD in general. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, goodbye from me. Goodbye from me as well. 